Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail, the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the critically acclaimed network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic. I contribute to the website Slash Film. Sure Mostly do. about Star Trek. Yeah, but that's the good stuff. And uh, for the purposes of this particular podcast, which is finally back after a, a short oh, hiatus. Uh, not short. It's yeah. actually been way too long. Okay, it's, it's been that. a while, but yeah. um, you can call me Rockmeister McCool. Yes. This is our letters episode. Write us letters. We uh, I, I recently discovered that uh, you and I both have an IMDb page. And, do we? Oh, and apparently, like, not like together, but like mm. individually. And like, I've done like a couple of little things. Like, I was a dead body in a movie once, so technically oh. I'm in there. But I was. Oh, a... we, I, I think I'm in. Um, because that the, Doctor Who thing. That Doctor Who. I was yeah. in a Doctor Who fan film, and I think that's yeah. on I'm, IMDb. I think we both got in because we also, the movie trivia Schmodown was a video series as well. Oh, and yeah. So we ran for that. But what I discovered, and, and that didn't shock me. It was just like, oh, okay. We have trivia. And whoever is doing the trivia for us on IMDb, interesting choices. Uh-oh. Like, Bibbs and Whitney really don't like the way that Disney, like, scrubs away details of their animated movies when they re- put them on Blu-ray. And I'm like, that's I mean, true. I, I I'm don't, sure, but... Yeah. I'm not sure that would put that on our trivia page, but that is true. That's that's really trivia. Yeah, I'll give you that. Uh, but one of yours says, Uh-oh. nickname Rockmeister McCool. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> That's it's a official. matter of official record. It's official, and I love that. Um, anyway, this is the podcast here at the Critically Acclaimed Network where we read your correspondence. Uh, you can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Send us an actual physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Um, over the last like few months, this show went from weekly to kind of bi-weekly for a little bit, and then I moved and that really threw us all out of whack. Mm-hmm. And then my computer was in the shop. Yeah, so it's been... focus on other things first. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, it's honestly, it's been way too long. And I really do love this podcast. And I love hearing all of your thoughts. And I hate that we have such a huge backlog. And I would like to say that we could get to every single email that we've gotten that time. But that would be a lot. So we're going to do the best we can. We're going to uh, come back and we're going to make this a regular feature once again. And I apologize for that delay. Uh, and let's just jump right in without any further right. ado. Uh, this is a letter from Wynn. Hello, Wynn. Hi, Wynn. Uh, it says, Hi, Bibbs and Rockmeister. Sorry for the short letter. Oh, um, that's a novelty. If you had a streaming service, how would you run it? Ah. I'd grab everything from the public domain, mm. and also, once I built it up, go to all the studios and buy what isn't on their streaming service. I think that's the Tubi model. Yeah. I think just it's just literally just, we don't want it, we'll fucking else. take yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, the problem is... I've encountered streaming services that already are doing better than anything I could possibly come up with. There are a few good ones um, out there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, to, you... To, to reiterate, the, the ones I'm fond of, and mm-hmm. the, the only ones you really need to subscribe to, now that mm-hmm. Quibi is gone, yeah. uh, you need to subscribe to Night Flight, ah. 
which is uh, all the episodes of Night Flight, a music video show that ran on the USA Network back in the 80s, mm-hmm. along with a bunch of like weird cult movies. They have a Something Weird channel. They have a Vinegar Syndrome right. channal. They have a Subgenius channel. Uh, all, all, of the weir- cool stuff. all of the weird new wave counterculture stuff from the 80s all can mm-hmm. concentrate in one stuff. It's all mm-hmm. wonderful. Uh, Ovid is another one I'm very fond of, and mm-hmm. I will never stop ringing the bell for Ovid. Um, That's mostly uh, international stuff, but most, it's like yeah. really art house. Uh, yeah, like, like Criterion's like, too mainstream for Ovid. Yeah, Ov- yeah, Ovid is like if if you remember that one film that was playing at your local museum yeah. for a day in mid-February and you couldn't make it because it was at 2 p.m. Uh, and it was six hours long. And it's a six hour long film. Yeah. That's on Ovid. You yeah. can watch it on Ovid. So yeah, it's it's all uh, really carefully curated through these uh, very specialty uh, art houses like Grasshopper Films. Mm-hmm. Uh, Criterion a, Channel, of course. Yeah, great channel. Uh, which is... It, it's almost gauche to recommend it, but you know, they, mm. they, they really know what they're doing. The, they've the, just, they've, they haven't... They haven't had too many duds on the Criterion channel. I don't. I don't want to take them for granted, though, and I yeah. think it's worth saying that Criterion, you know, it's got their problems. You know, with, when you become like Criterion has this kind of like seal of approval, if you're on Criterion, you must be good. Mm-hmm. Then it calls attention to any failings that you have, and sure enough, they haven't always been the best about uh, representation across mm-hmm. the board. For example, they're trying, but like mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not always been great. But seriously, they have a really great catalog, though. Yeah. That's that is true, regardless. Yeah. Um, agreed. Um, uh, and Shutter is doesn't have a huge catalog, but it's really well curated. Yep. If it's uh, on Shutter, you know, it's probably interesting. And and, yeah. and uh, they're also really good about distributing like a lot of international films. There's mm-hmm. some things that are called to Shutter Originals. Yeah. Every Friday, that, they have either a new episode mm-hmm. of one of their ongoing shows or a new movie and, that they and, and that stuff is usually at least interesting. Yeah. Uh, there have been a couple bad ones, but yeah. it's not like they're not just sort of throwing whatever horror schlock you know they, they know their audience and they know how to sort of curate horror when, when I hear Shudder original mm-hmm. I usually assume that's probably worth checking out it's pretty, yeah probably you yeah. should probably see that one yeah again a few duds mm-hmm. notwithstanding they, they've yeah. got some good stuff uh, and uh, and and also, I, I'm not really well versed with Mubi, but I hear Mubi is actually quite good. Mubi's good. Uh, Mubi is such, is one where um, instead of having like a giant catalog you can always access, they like really go through uh, quickly. Yeah. Like every month they have new stuff and then they get rid of stuff. So it encourages you to keep coming back. Mm-hmm. But they're really, really good. They got some original stuff too, or at least some exclusive deals with like some international mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, I think they were behind the release of Passengers, Iris Axis Passengers. Okay, yeah. Which was excellent. <laughs> uh, so that's really, really good as well. Do you, you have nothing um, that you particularly that you would do? What would I do? Because um, I have that's something I, I would do, I mm. think. Because I agree with you. I think, um, honestly... I hate that the the Fox owns this. Not the Fox Disney bot, but like the Fox News. Tubi is good. Tubi uh, has a great Tubi, weird selection. Tubi is really remnant. Is the best representation of what it was like to go to a local video store. Yeah, like that kind of really eclectic collection of total garbage uh-huh. and a couple movies you know that you yeah. kind of wanted to see but like if there's a decent chance like if you're saying to yourself oh there's a movie that's never been released on dvd and i've been thinking about watching it for like 30 years but i never found it check Tubi; it's probably there and yeah. that's happened to me a lot uh that's a good service for, for me the thing that i would like i think it'd be really cool if a streaming service did this was you'll see occasionally like criterion will do like Here's like science fiction thrillers of the nineties. They'll like curate a, a special yeah, yeah. group that they'll have for like a couple of months. I would like to see a service that did that, but for people. 
like, um, hey, uh, they do with actors and filmmakers on Criterion. I know, but like that. But what about your cousin Ricky? What about my cousin Ricky? Well, what if he could put together like a playlist? Oh, so like a Spotify style thing, and then you could like watch the marathon. That like your favorite, oh, you your favorite what? film critic could like put together. Here's a ten film Here's... marathon, and it's all things that we have access to, or we only have access to for a little while. Mm. And you can put that together. So it's like Letterbox, but you can actually instantly access those movies, and it's all curated, and you can like plan out your own little film festivals. You know what? That'd I'd, be cool. I'd love to see that, but with the BFI polls. Yeah, like all oh, of, all of cool. filmmakers and the critics, like yeah, they voted the... for their ten movies. You can get have, those 10. have those ten chunks. Yeah, yeah. here's. <clears throat> Siming Lang's yeah. choices for the best films of the year. Yeah, like maybe you or maybe for the best films of ever. You I know, know and you can like thing. even pay for that. Like, hey, it's four ninety nine. You get access to those ten films. It might be mm. some of them are the same that are on Martin Scorsese's list or whatever. But those are the ten you got them, and then that's actually evenly yeah. split between so the whoever owns rights to those movies. And if it's public domain or or whatever, then mm-hmm. it goes to the BFI. Well, oh, and I've said this before. Uh, it, it if I'm ever elected president, uh, I'm announcing mm. my running. By the way, I'm running for president. Oh. Um, I'll vote for you. <laughs> uh, I'm running on I'm running on education, so I'm going to lose. Yeah. Uh, no, I, what I would do is I would use government funds, and I would have a permanent mm-hmm. streaming service mm-hmm. available to all American citizens of all the films in the Library of Congress. Yeah. Just have them available. Yeah. Just <laughs> be be part of the like, federally sponsored these movies. One idea that's been floated, and I I really like this idea. I'm sure there's a legal reason why to be complicated, but. All those movies that, like, studios... There's not a lot, but enough that it's a problem. Those movies that studios are taking a tax break on, mm-hmm. like, instead of ever releasing Batgirl, we're just going to get the money that we spent on it, and that's going to be a tax write-off for us. Yeah. The American government just paid for that. Mm-hmm. That should be in the public domain now. That's true. Someone pointed that be. out, and I'm like, that would be great, and that the would be only... a great incentive to not do that. And also, because all of a sudden, uh, this thing that you got, anyone can access it. Anyone can do anything they want with it. And if it's got an intellectual property you care about, like a comic book character, well, then you're really not going to want that fucking shit to happen. So well, you better they, fucking I release think, the movie. I, I don't know. First of all, <coughs> the, the tax laws are fucked in this country. Oh, of course, that, they that are. a studio can't even do that. Yeah, um, that, but, that should not even be possible. But uh, <laughs> I, I think part of the deal is there. If if a movie ever a studio ever does that, like takes yeah. a movie off of things Oops. falling in the background there, if a studio ever takes a film off their docket, I think the deal is they can't ever make money on it. Well, that's so, exactly uh, so, so. If it's so in it's the public, public domain, domain. They, that still Ex- abides by that contract. Exactly. Just but uh, people have access to it, and then they can do other things with it if they want. They can screen it at a movie mm-hmm. theater for free. Mm-hmm. They might not be happy about that, but shit, man, you yeah, made no, the no, call. Nobody's getting royalties for that, but yeah. I mean, and people always say, they're like, oh, well, then the people involved won't get royalties for it. They're not going to get any royalties if they don't release it. They're getting at least, royalties now. At yeah. least <laughs> people will see their work and they'll be able to, like, use that to get more work. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they're, it's, it's, the ideal scenario is they put out the movie. Yeah. The shit scenario is they never put out the movie. The in the middle scenario is, well, at least it goes in the public domain. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, it was a thought. Although, I know that they're... 
and and people are getting insane because it's kind of a shitty thing to do. People work shitty. people work on a movie and they're putting it on a shelf. But yeah. you know, it, it's it's not like they're censoring some like grand piece of art. Well, they're, you know that they're uh, well. I haven't seen these movies. I don't know, but you yeah. know, there's every reason to believe that Coyote versus Acme is going to be the next Space Jam. Uh, it's, I don't know, people say people who saw these, it say it's really good. If I get to see these movies and they're pieces of shit, then I'm going to feel kind of bad about defending their right to exist. No, I'll defend their right to exist. It doesn't mean they're good, but they should exist. People should at least yeah. have the right to see them. Think about how many movies that people hated only yeah. to decades later call a classic or vice versa. You know, well, like, so. who, who can say? It, it should all be out there. There's no reason for it not to be out there. Okay. Anyway. I, I, I won't judge it until I see it. Exactly. And if I hate it, then I can say this shouldn't have been out oh, there. Well, <laughs> I think this shouldn't have been out there is too hard. It's too harsh. But you can all, it's okay to say it sucks. Moving right. on. Um, this is a letter from yes. Johnny. Hi, Johnny. Greetings from the UK, my dear William and Whitney. Hello. Uh, continue to love your work. I hope you are both well. Thank you. Hanging in there. I wanted to write an email just to clarify some of the points you made on the accounting write-offs done by Disney. This hey, is, we're just talking about what we're talking about. Okay. Uh, of items in their streaming services a while back. I'll do this as simply as possible. Okay. Before I start, I completely agree that art should be preserved. This is entirely for clarification on a couple of points, especially when you said that they uh, would get cash back from the government for write-offs, which you could argue is true. When a company buys or makes mm. a show, it is held out, held as stock on its balance sheet. Okay. The company then selects a policy for the rate at which this will be amortized, which means the rate at which it will be written down on the company's income statement. This is all... It's, it's, it's very official, but I'm glad we're actually getting this. Yeah. And if, if it's... If it's a little impenetrable, well, that's yeah. well, why no, it's this, accounting. This is all, all in plain language. I realize that. Even um, so, it seems like a lot. This yeah. should reflect the useful life of the inventory. So if you make a show and you think it will be watched for at least five years, you will write it off over the five years, probably doing a bit more in year one as uh, more people will watch it in the first year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry if you're yeah. bored, almost done. Um, <laughs> Now, this amortization reduces the company's profit before the tax. The tax charge is calculated based on the figure, mm. based on this figure. So let's say Disney has a, a, a profit before tax from everything across all departments of $1 billion mm-hmm. and would pay 21% tax on this, so $210 million. And they also have $300 million of stock on the balance sheet, which they've spent or invested previously. If they chose to impair this, meaning take it off the value of their income statement as a write-off, reducing their profit before taxes to $700 million as opposed to a billion, okay. then their tax charge is now only $147 million and not $210 million. Okay. So they've saved $63 million in tax payable. They don't really get money back from the government for do this. They just reduce their bill. Which is, when you, especially when you're talking about that much money, though, that is just saving money. So That's what, money you would have spent. I, supp- I suppose so. Well, what does this mean? It means they can do this into in perpetuity. Even if they bring things back, they need to have spent money, the $300 million in the example above, to be able to impair it. They firmly believe money is more important than preservation of art. That's very clear. Yep. And accounting is fun, or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> and while we're both here, what do you think of the producers? <laughs> uh, oh, the it, it's... Um... Uh, both films, it says. Oh, okay. Signed, Johnny. I can never get through the musical version. Uh, I, I hear the Broadway I mean, version is good. I couldn't get through that movie. The The second movie is not just based on the Broadway musical. It's essentially a film, <sighs> almost a filmed version. Yeah. Like they kept the same cast and they kept this really kind of stagey, stagey blocking. And there's even jokes from the stage play that they put in the movie that don't make sense cinematically. Like what? Um, like there was a bit where um, the character of Ula... 
Played by the, Uma this, Thurman in the Uma movie, Thurman yeah. in the movie in yeah. the, the newer Second, movie. Yeah. Uh, there's a bit in this Broadway show where they sing their big Act One finale, and then the curtain rises. You get up. You have intermission. You have, mm-hmm. you have a pee. You have a beer. You come back, and. Uh, the curtain goes up and the set is completely different. Yeah. And, uh, because Ula has been redecorating. Okay. And, uh, th- this happens in, in the original <coughs> Mel Brooks movie. It's like, when yeah. did you do all of this? And, uh, and yeah, Nathan Lane, who plays Max Bialystok on Broadway, he comes out and he says, when did you do all of this? And the joke in the stage version was intermission. Okay. I worked, yeah. th- I worked yeah. through intermission mm-hmm. and everybody has a light chuckle. Yeah. Uh, and they have that same joke in the movie. He comes back into the office, but it's a set, so it's not as dramatic. Yeah. It's like, you can change a set. We're used to that cinematically. Yeah. And he says, Ula, when did you do this? And her line is, I worked through lunch. Oh. That's not a, that's not funny. That's no, less I, funny. Well, the, 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 alter, the alternative version of that is off screen. The, yeah, there you go. I the did it off screen. Version. Yeah. yeah, I did it off screen. Yeah. Dur- during Boom. the cutaway. That's yeah. the joke. Yeah. Boom. And this is, that's a Mel Brooks joke. He makes he those kinds of fourth wall joke. jokes yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, weird, weird, I think, weirdly tame version of that. Like, yeah. not like it was ribald. The other parts of the play are, but like. Could, could, have, a, could have been a lot more ribald. They should no, have made it more true. ribald. Oh, no, yeah. Uh, so th- that version stinks. It's mm-hmm. it's not funny. It's really low energy. Uh, it, it's a good way to hear the songs in context. It's kind yeah. of the only, only it only exists as an advertisement to buy the soundtrack to the show. Yeah. Um, the 1968 original is one of the funniest comedies ever. Yeah. <laughs> I love the original. It's really great. Music. And it's and it's really... People always like, you couldn't do that now. Uh, you could. It's a tightrope walk. It was then, too. Mm. Um, if, if you've never seen the producers... It, or, um, or if you just want to be brash, that's, that's yeah, also that a thing. Uh, but the producers is a story of a uh, failing uh, Broadway musical producer... Uh, who has a new accountant? The uh, producer's played by Zero Marstel's accountant's played by Gene Wilder. Mm. <clears throat> what he yeah. discovers is that uh, he, by accident he uh, sold off more shares in his latest production uh, than he raised. Than he yeah. raised. So like so it's like he sold like okay I'm gonna if you give me ten thousand dollars you get fifty percent of the production of the of the profits. Um, <clears throat> but he sold off like one hundred and ten percent of the profits. Mm. Uh, but the movie I'm sorry but the play was a flop. So there were no profits, mm-hmm. so it kind of didn't matter. But, but he, got, he got to keep the money he raised, and yeah. uh, and and in the in the movie he points out he raised like one hundred point one percent, like it was like only it was, a little bit more. But Gene Wilder's accountant character says, "Huh? But if you could do this on purpose, and as long as you make a guaranteed flop, you could probably con people out of a lot of money." And Zero Mostel is like. Well, then we absolutely fucking have to do that. <laughs> and they so try that, to yeah. come up with the absolute ra- worst raise, play imaginable. They raise a bunch of money from a bunch of naive old rich women mm-hmm. who Max Bialystok romances. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then, yeah, they try to come up with the worst possible play imaginable. And the worst possible play imaginable is a, uh, bio, is a biographical story of Adolf Hitler written by a fan. Like an, <laughs> like an actual Nazi who thinks so, like people don't understand how wonderful he was, and they're like, "Well, this is gonna bomb on Broadway really, really hard." But then they overshoot themselves, and they get like a really kitschy director who turns it into like this wacky musical, mm. and they accidentally make something really funny oh. that makes fun of the Third Reich. So the writer is pissed, but the audiences love it, and it's gonna be a huge success. And now they're fucked. Mm. 
That is a brilliant <laughs> idea. It is a kind of a complicated premise, but it under easy to understand, they and explain, it works perfectly. They explain the premise. It's really <clears throat> character-based, because yeah. Max Bialystok <sighs> is this wonderful con-man character. He's really kind mm. of a, a lout, but you like him, because he's played by Zero Mostel. Yeah. And Gene Wilder is Gene comedically Wilder. brilliant as this sort of button-down character. Yeah. One of the funniest he's, actors he, ever. He's played, his character is named Leopold Bloom, which is the name of the main <laughs> character from James Joyce's Ulysses. Mm. Uh, and uh, Coincidence? Pro- probably not. No, no, no it wasn't yeah, a coincidence. Okay. He named him after that character. <clears throat> All right. Uh, there's there's a few uh, queer panic jokes that don't fly as yeah, well today. Yeah, parts um, of it are but, but I think great, but, yeah. I think uh, Mel Brooks was actually very affectionate toward the queer characters. Yeah, uh, they're they're campy and over the top, but they're never. So, so are a lot of people in that movie. Yeah, to be fair. Yeah. So like, but yeah, the parts. I don't sense any real hate there. Yeah, I mean, but like, there's a lot of like he's playing with stereotypes, but it's not hateful. Like there, there, there. Mel Brooks jokes from like his older stuff that are clearly, you know what, he's getting away with it. It really works. There's intelligence behind it. It's never punching downwards. And then there's ones that are like on the borderline. Like when you're watching the end of Blazing Saddles and they cut into like Dom DeLuise and that one like musical number called The French Mistake. Oh, yeah. Which is like, really, skirting the line on that one now. That's on the edge. But yeah, overall, he mostly gets away with it. And yeah, so the original is a classic. I can't get through that remake. I just can't. It's not I Maybe it's great on the stage. I never, I just couldn't do it. It just didn't work for me. All right, moving on. All right, uh, here's a letter from David. Hello, David. Hi, David. Um, It says, Hello, Bibbs and Whitney. I was just listening to your coverage of Ensign Rowe. That's our Uh, episode of Star Trek uh, from our Star Trek podcast. The uh, character Michelle Forbes played Mm -hmm. on Star Trek The Next Generation. Great character, not used enough. And I was fascinated by the discussion of Rolaren as the prototype for later characters in Star Trek. Mm. The example given was Michael Burnham on Discovery, and a lot has also been said of Kieran Arise on Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. but I also see Roe as a prototype for another character, Beckett Mariner on Star Trek Lower Decks. I can see that. Yeah, that yeah. tracks. Uh, Mariner's insubordination insubordination is so habitual that she brags about the brig being her favorite place. Mm-hmm. The only punishment that ever seems to work on her is actually promoting her to positions of more responsibility that she doesn't want. The recent episodes of the show are zeroing in as to why she's that way, and overall, the warts and all approach is a flawed yet heroic character. Mm. To a uh, one-walked-so-another-could-run comparison, Rose swaggered into the ready room so Mariner could sarcastically Vulcan salute her way out of one. Sincerely, David. Yeah, uh, Ensign mm-hmm. Rose is a character they introduced in Star Trek Next Generation and the whole thing is she's an ensign it's as low ranking as you could get mm. but she would she would talk back to everybody like even captains and admirals she was very opinionated she was very uh, Star Trek was very big on diplomacy which means not taking a lot of firm stances on things she was very opposed to that great character really injected a lot of life into the series like kind of later on they really should have used her more mm. uh, but the original idea was when they spun off into Deep Space Nine, she was going to be one of the main characters. It didn't work out. They ended up mm. creating a character a lot like her to be played by Nana Visitor. Mm. Uh, great character in her own right, but somewhat different. Um, but that idea of a character who is introduced as someone who is insubordinate, but right a lot of the time. Mm. Someone who is incredibly principled and causes makes a lot of waves, but is still nevertheless heroic. Um they didn't use that character a lot, but when they did, it was really prominent. And I would argue mm-hmm. that I don't think without I think without Ensign Rowe, I don't think you get Michael Burnham in Discovery. And mm-hmm. the argument that Mariner has a lot to do with her, probably. Well, I, I imagine uh, so. It'd, it'd be cool to actually have Ensign Rowe or whatever rank she'd be mm-hmm. now do a cameo well, on Lower Decks. Because uh, co- that would be cool. Well, Commander Rowe shows up in Picard. 
Okay. So we actually do catch up with her. But that's later on in the timeline, though. That's true. Like, that takes Lower Decks happens in the middle. About 20-ish years yeah. after after Lower Decks. There's still a space and, in the middle there she could show. Uh, sure. Because, like, Riker yeah. shows up in Picard as well, but he's also mm-hmm. in Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. That's true, yeah. He's older in Picard, and he's yeah. still captain of the Titan in Lower Decks. Yeah. Uh, the difference between Ro Laren and a character like Beckett Mariner is that mm-hmm. Beckett Mariner, uh, we eventually learn that she's actually informed by a lot of sadness and resentment. Mm. Uh, and she actually is a, a very positive character for the most part. She okay. enjoys her scenario. She enjoys being violent, but she also is starting to acknowledge that a lot of her behavior is self-destructive. And she actually has acknowledged openly in Lower Decks at this point, <clears throat> why that is so. Yeah. Uh, Rolaren hates Starfleet. She's a very angry character. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to be there. Uh, and I, I get the sense that she is not informed by you know, sadness or this kind of distant resentment. She's uh, She just disagrees. Well... She has a, a, a different way of doing things. It doesn't... That, it's not that she's merely insubordinate. She has no. very good reasons for being that way. Yeah, that's... Well, and I think that's true for Rolaren as well mm-hmm. because Rolaren actually, you know, she comes from... Uh, a, a, a culture that had been uh, mm. colonized and abused by a group of uh, the Cardassians that the Federation is trying to be on good terms with. And she resents that. She yeah. should resent that. That sucks. That's an actual thing that insubordination that justifies her insubordination, I think, in every turn. The question that I agree with you here, though, is that I don't think that in my experience, and I haven't seen every Rolaren episode, we're still, mm. we have a podcast where we review every single Star Trek ever on our Patreon. It's exclusive to that. And we haven't gotten to every Rolaren episode, but to the best of my knowledge, they haven't properly justified why, for all of these things that Rolaren uh, believes and is into, that she's in Starfleet of all things. Mm. Like, Beckett Mariner has a connection to Starfleet that is personal, well, she, and, even though... And she also believes in the, the principles of Starfleet. Yeah, we, I've not gotten that speech or that scene from Earl Aaron mm-hmm. that explains why she's here. It does feel like that that's something that is an empty space. Yeah. And I would argue that Beckett Mariner is more strongly written than what we've, I've seen so far of Earl Aaron, at yeah. least. And I would argue the same thing with Michael Burnham, even, even though... You know, I think there are issues with the way that character is presented, but still a perfectly good character. Um, yeah, Rolaren, but again, that's it's a prototype. Mm. You know, it's not the, the the finished version of that. It's like the the seed from which other similar insubordinate but heroic characters would grow. Yeah, and which was again pretty novel in Star Trek when Rolaren showed up. Yeah, and I kind of appreciate that Rolaren uh, has no impulses toward heroism. Yeah, uh, she she sees no reason to be heroic, and that's mm. kind of what stand, makes her stand apart from a lot of the Starfleet characters. Yeah, I think Rolaren would hate Beckett Mariner, possibly, and I but I think they would have an and interesting not, conversation. Uh, yeah, maybe so. That's the point. I think it would be good to put I, them in a room together. You I know? feel like they'd have an interesting mm. conversation, but the conclusion would be no, we still hate each other. At the Great. end of that, yeah. I would love that. I think that would be true to their characters. Mm. That's the thing. That's the thing when you, when you do serialized storytelling with these kinds of characters. You, you wanted to see what they do in any situation. Hmm. And if what they would do is true to their characters, that's good writing. Yeah. Even if it isn't necessarily <clears throat> what we want to see, per se. Although I know a lot of Star Trek actors have, have said they don't want to come back. Sure. But now they're kind of messing with all, like the, all the Star Trek shows now take part all across the Star Trek mm-hmm. timeline. Everyone's coming and, back yeah, or they have an excuse it's to. It's like anyway. a different generation. Each one's being yeah. revisited. And, they the, and they've asked a couple actors, like, hey, you want to come back and do a cameo? And they're like, no. I wouldn't that's do fine. That. 
Uh, John the, Billingsley, who plays Dr. Phlox. Oh, is he done with that? Like, it's like, hey, do you want to come in and like, do a voice on Lower Decks or something? It's like, well, no. Okay, well, <laughs> I'll that's play, fine. I play Dr. Phlox. I want to do other parts now. My, my thing with that is, if if you're going to do these like long, ongoing, mm-hmm. serialized or semi-serialized narratives or whatever, uh, and there's an actor who can't come back or doesn't want to come back, you have two fucking options. One, recast them. I don't fucking care. <laughs> I don't. I'm over caring about that. Every fucking time, with very few exceptions, when they have taken a beloved character and they've recast them, just flat out recast them, it's been okay. A couple of times they weren't as good as the previous versions, but usually they put their own spin on it, the character evolves and becomes something even more interesting over time, and everyone kind of makes it their own. There are people who think Timothy Dalton is the best Bond. They're not wrong. There's an argument for that. Uh, or don't bring him back. Yeah. Just don't bring him back. Fuck, just, fuck just, it. Let just him have go. a new character. Let him go. Like, it's 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 fine. What I will not be okay with you doing is bringing them back with AI or some bullshit. Just mm-hmm. let them go. Or recast them. Let another actor get a job. Well, the the, the problem... And this is more a problem... I guess it's a problem with all kind of mm-hmm. mainstream entertainments these days but you yeah. know they're using these technologies to recreate older characters mm-hmm. and they're they're so hooked on ip and nostalgia yeah. and ownership cashing cash in owner owning these characters and cashing in on uh these properties and characters that are already known mm-hmm. because it's easier to do that than to create a new character yep. or, or try to get somebody hooked on something that's completely new mm-hmm. uh that this is now a concern of ours that they're just sort of recreating actors digitally and bringing back all these characters that they've had in the past. It wasn't exciting to see them again. It isn't anymore. Yeah. I don't need to see anybody ever again. The novelty's I'm good. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I understand the uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds is like a legacy show, and there's all these older characters. Mm. I like they're, the, they're recasting them. I, Good. They're recasting them. They didn't. I'm not watching the show because I want to see where those characters were when they were young. Yeah. I'm watching that show because it happens to be very well written. Yeah. Uh, actually, the legacy stuff is the things is the stuff I like least about that show. For the most part, it's yeah. like, oh, here's a scene where Kirk and Spock meet for the first time. No, fuck. I don't care no, about that. Stop. That's, that's not the thing. Yeah. I like seeing Spock do things. When yeah. he's a well-written character, and he's a very well-written character on that show, mm. I like that stuff. But yeah, it's no, kind of a, a more emotional, jocular version of the character. Which is but fine. that's, that's how they're di- doing. He's it. at a so, different yeah. point in his journey. That's fine. Mm. Like he would, it'd be if it was the exact same Spock we've always seen, it would be fine. But I think you know, tr- focusing on a different part of his life, neat. Mm. Okay, there's a bit more to explore. That's great. Yeah. Anyway, we, right. we've, we've talked about Star Trek enough. Anyway. <laughs> Here's another Star Trek email, don't we? Here's a letter from Craig. Yeah, maybe <laughs> okay. so. Okay. Uh, it says, Greetings, friends. I've recently gone back a bit to listen to a few episodes that, for one reason or another, I missed. So I wanted to write in to say thank you, thank you, thank you oh. for introducing me to the terrific Robert Altman film, The Long Goodbye. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay! That's a great movie. Wonderful uh, movie. It now stands alongside long Mash and Popeye. Yes, I'm in your corner on this bit. Yes. That's one of my favorite Altman movies. Yes. Popeye is shit. <laughs> shit to Lee good. No, it doesn't really work, does it? No. I love Popeye. I think um, Whitney's nuts. Another brilliant surprise, again, thanks for lis- uh, thanks to listening to your podcast, was discovering that Walter Matthau wasn't always an old grump. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he became an old grump maybe around age 22, but yeah. <laughs> when, 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 when we grew up, 
Mm-hmm. Walter Matthau was like, he had been in movies for decades, but he had settled into a phase of his career where he was playing crotchety old guys yeah. pretty consistently and I mean, stuff like he, literally, he was literally in grumpy old men mm. and grumpy er old men. Uh, that was his shtick in the mm-hmm. later part of his career. But he had other parts of his career. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's uh, interesting to see him. Letter says, in fact, he was a stone cold criminal in Charlie Varick. Yeah, he fucking was. Um, yeah, I've seen Charlie Varick. Charlie Varick rules. Uh, Great who, fucking Who movie. knew? Uh, both of these amazing films got me thinking. In the past, I know you've discussed the filmography of John Carpenter. Mm. I wonder if you'd consider doing an Iron List show covering another specific filmmaker or mm-hmm. actor. The likes of Mr. Altman, Wes Craven, Brian De Palma, or James Stewart, or Walter Matthau, I think, would make interesting lists. Anyway, thanks for all you do. You really brighten my day with every new episode sincerely craig oh well thank thanks you. craig and um, uh as as critics that's all we want is for people to listen to, to our recommendations we, if, if, so thank you if you checked yeah. out a movie because we said it was cool especially if you liked it that that means the world to us so mm-hmm. thank you that's that's why we do what we do um the iron list is our podcast once a month we do a uh top 10 list whitney does one i do mm-hmm. one based on a topic our patrons choose um We've done a lot of topics over the year. Later this month, we're going to be doing the best films that just happen to start with the letter I. <laughs> uh, those always end up being fun because it's kind of a weird cavalcade of films. Uh, we haven't done a lot of very specific filmmaker lists. And I think the reason for that is there aren't a lot of filmmakers who've made so many movies that our lists would be dramatically different. And like, uh, it, like you would have different movies on your list than mine. And, like, and those that are, like if you look at... Um, like there, there were a lot of directors for hire who made like film after film after film, like western after western. Uh, Don Siegel, yeah, one of those. He Don made a shit ton of yeah. movies. Yeah. Uh, heck, even William Castle. Yeah, uh, The Tingler was his fortieth movie. He, yeah. he made a lot of films. Yeah. Um, We'd have to watch. We, all we, we have to watch all those, and we're not not so well versed in these yeah. uh, filmmakers that have these gigantic filmographies. And there, there's a, I, I imagine for each of us, there's like a few filmmakers who we are, but not necessarily both of us. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I'm, I guess I'm just slightly more into Hitchcock than you. Yeah. Cause I've, I've seen most of Hitchcock's movies and there, you, you have a few gaps and I don't want to force you to have to sit through like 15 movies to yeah. do that list every <laughs> month. It's an unre, it's an unreasonable ask. Um, but it, it is a fun discussion and we can try to think up a few, I think mm-hmm. that might work or we could just not be precious and just not worry about there being like enough variety. Yeah. But, um, yeah. What, uh, I what mean, we could do is, yeah. um, I mean, I hate doing <clears throat> rankings, but <throat> we could do like competing rankings of we our could. favorite filmmakers. It, that, that would be a way to sort of make that interesting. If mm-hmm. we, if for those ones where the, where the, the scope of it is a little more limited. Yeah. It's something to think about. We generally don't do that, but that's a thought. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll think about it. We will think about it though. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Here is a letter from UFO Factory. Nice. <laughs> Thank oh, you. Oh, man. Um, dearest Bibbs and Rockmeister McGee. I'll take it. <laughs> so, we all agree that AI is likely the apocalyptic antichrist slash Twilight Zone 2 electric boogaloo hell demon of the apocalypse, right? More or less. Eh, ish. Yeah, more uh, or less, yeah. I, I've said this before. I would love... Mm to uh, see Lars von Trier oh. direct an AI-written script. That's, that sounds really interesting I, to I'm me. not saying there aren't interesting experiments mm. that can be done. I don't mm. see it as a, a sustainable future well, or industry thing. No, and uh, I think what people object to about AI isn't the AI itself necessarily. It's the way studios are proposing they use it. Yeah, which uh, is which to is, deny people would, work. Which, yes, deny yeah. people. They're... they're 
openly saying they're going to use it for unethical purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with using it as a, an unusual artistic tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in but, animation, for example, it can be it can simply be a time saver. Yeah, maybe. like okay, well, we can just put a dimple in that guy's mm-hmm. cheek in every shot, and the and AI can and, more and, or less and AI handle can, that. Yeah, can kind of do that yeah. well and reasonably but, enough, which and, saves enough time that it's useful, but isn't so much time that no one's going to get a job. On yeah, it, and, you know, like that, there's there's stuff to be done. And, you know? and, you know, as, as these things get more sophisticated and sort of whole scenes can be automated, I've, the computer doesn't know what's right and wrong, so everything yeah. looks a little off, and I think that's really fascinating in a weird way. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but no, I don't, I don't think it should that be... it's art at that point, though. That's It's, like, automated. Well, it's, I mean, some art is just aesthetics, and that, that, that's, that's what That's true, but, for. but they are that's... chosen aesthetics, though. Or are they? Some of them, I've seen bad art from people that aren't really choosing. They're just sort of imitating stuff. So I understand that, but it's still it's What, still what would that look like if it's automated? It's still um, an expression of a person. Uh, uh, Not a good it, one, perhaps, it, 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 but it yeah, is. Yeah, a bad, bad one. That's a whole, um, you're, it's a whole different conversation. It's a whole different conversation. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, the, I think the reason the, the studios are proposing that they use AI is because we've just, we're at the, the back edge of it now. Yeah. If the trends had continued... And the same kinds of movies were successful just year after year after year. And it was all this formulaic garbage. Yeah. If it's a formula, you don't need a writer, do you? That's the thought. And, you know, if you're just going to have the same kind of scripts that are going to be tinkered with endlessly by these teams of uncreative mm-hmm. executives, yeah. uh, doing AI is kind of similar to that anyway. So they were proposing, let's just do that. Let's just hire a computer to write it for us and people will flock to see these movies. Now, here's what I, what gives me hope. Uh-huh. Trends change. Exactly. People don't give a shit about those kinds of formulas anymore and you can't do that with changing trends. Exactly. You, uh, the, the AI only knows how to give you what's it's already, what's already there. You. Yeah, it scans we, what exists and recreates yeah. it. But the thing is, and then we've learned that this year, audiences do get tired of shit. Mm. Maybe not so much that, you know, that they won't ever go or that you won't reach anybody. But the idea that if you do this type of movie, you'll make a billion dollars easy. It, it can last for a little bit. Mm. You know, there, there are novelties, there are trends, but after a while, at, at the very least, people get complacent. And they no longer consider seeing those kinds of movies a priority because I've seen them. Yeah. At that point... Novelty rules the roost, and and nope. I'm guarantee you that if you put in all of the most popular movie trends of like the like the from like 2012 to 2022, it would not make Oppenheimer. <laughs> nope. And if it did make Barbie, it would not have made Greta Gerwig's version of Barbie. No. It was those are very fucking mm. particular yeah, novel yeah. things, and novelty made them a hit. And not just a hit, but a like long running word of mouth hit. Not just like oh, we saw it opening weekend and then we got our fix. They were hits for weeks, mm-hmm. in a way that usually like only like Avengers Endgame would do. And then the Marvel shit isn't doing great. And then Indiana Jones bombed. And then Mission Impossible didn't make money. Mm-hmm. Novelty. <laughs> you need novelty. You need we people need, to yeah, do something it's... unexpected in order well, to going... create the new paradigm that you're going to copy for 10 years, mm-hmm. and then you need someone to do something unexpected again. I feel like we're coming out of a dark period. Um, yeah. The, the 2023 has been a really good year. Yeah. Uh, a lot, we'll lot we'll get to that. Yeah. Year, yeah. Um, anyway, the letter continues. Mm. Have you ever, th- uh, but have you ever thought about how easily the movie Xanadu, <laughs> oh my God, this taking so many turns. Uh, the movie <laughs> Xanadu could be turned into a sequel to The Warriors. 
Yes. The Walter Hill movie. I have thought uh, about seriously, that. Seriously, how great would that be, right? Or imagine if Ferris Bueller was tweaked so seamlessly to sequelize war games. Yes. Heck, why not round out the glorious trilogy with Biloxi Blues or Godzilla? What have we got to lose? Or how about the uh, the animated Star Trek series perfectly rendered as a fourth live-action series of Star Trek? Or, I guess, yeah, fourth season of the original Star Trek. Mress and Eric in 60s Trek style. Come on, come on, so sick. It's probably only me, but I'd love to have those things only in my personal collection, not for mass scale Lucasian revisionism, but you know, just for me, because those are the things I would really enjoy watching. So mm. sorry about the lowbrow selections. I like nah, good stuff too, I swear. Um, no, you're fine, because yeah. what, what, what you're talking about two different things here. One, I think those kind of connections where like, this actor's been in all these movies, what if they're more closely connected because well, of the actor? Th- they're proposing that they use AI I, to sort of mix those oh, movies I know. together. But what you're talking about is fan fiction. That's what well, it is. Well, um, it's fan fiction, but you're getting something to realize it yeah, in but, a way that maybe you couldn't have because you don't have the technical know-how. Fan fiction, or uh, the, the term we used to use for that kind of thing was culture jamming. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not really a term that's used anymore. but in, It's a good term, though. Yeah. Uh, or, or reality hacking, which was the less yeah. popular term. But uh, culture jamming was a, a practice. A lot of it was to do with sort of media manipulation. Uh, and you could still see this in a certain... Uh, outsider outlets like everything is terrible Uh or tv carnage uh where these uh editors would go through these vast swaths of essentially useless media old vhs releases infomercials stuff no one gives a shit about total cultural garbage and they would recut it or cut it together in a way where it looks like these really bizarre disparate things were interacting or they were commenting on each other or you just show like little clips out of context Mm -hmm. and it would sort of unlock this weird surrealist cultural id yeah. that was lurking within all of our brains and these little sort of feature length uh, uh, videos. Uh, I really recommend Everything is Terrible. I really recommend TV yeah. Carnage. Those are really interesting uh, sort of examples of what I'm talking about from the yeah. 2000s. Uh, but and I feel like... Yeah. And that's just... Again, you're, you're just sort of going into media and you're using kind of a scalpel, in this case an editing machine, mm-hmm. to uncover this weird sort of cultural truth. Yeah. Uh, underneath all of these things. And I think what AI is could do is scan these things that exist and use a, mach- a machine to kind of give us this artificial truth out of the, the middle of it. Uh, not, not using, like, artistic edits, but still turning something inside out. What if we scanned all of these things, artificially amalgamated them, and spewed out something that's complete nonsense? That's that could be seen as the reality of these these garbage mm-hmm. uh, pieces of media that we're getting together. Okay. So I could see that. I could see that as sort of this interesting that's a, that's experiment. sociological ent- experiment. But I, th- yeah. I think yeah, as an experiment, I, I think experiments can be valid because they can teach us things whether or not they're good. Yeah. Um. I, what I object to is the idea that these are fundamentally good and we should replace everything else with it. I I don't like taking tools Again, out of the toolbox, but I what I really don't like is coming up with inferior things that deny people jobs. Yeah, yeah. And that's then, where it sucks. And that's that's why people are bristling at the thought of AI, yeah. because that's the way it's being proposed. It's yeah. like we're we're gonna use this in order specifically in order to screw people out of jobs and make things for mainstream consumption that are uncreative. Yeah. That's the worst way you could use AI. Yeah. Um Agreed. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, conversely, we're well aware of the horrors of AIs. The capitalist pigs would prefer to, this is back to the letter, okay. uh, would prefer to implement the, and eliminate jobs and cut budgets, or worse, mm. atrocities such as the current Walking Dead offshoot TV shows, which I'm convinced were written 100% by AR and some of the most insipid programming ever beamed to America's rabbit ear antennae. Warning, stay away. I don't know those new Walking I, Dead I, shows. I gave up on Walking um, Dead so many years right. ago, and honestly, I don't miss it at all. <laughs> I guess what I'm asking is if... if you could wave the artificial intelligence wand at your personal collection. Mm. What are some ridiculous or seamless AI tweaks you would make for fun? Ah. Uh, look, we know Disney copyright is never going to make Bram Stoker's Muppets Dracula the musical, mm. but what if you could? I Well, uh, I would just want to do that. I don't want uh, AI to do that. I want to do that. And for bonus points, what are some ways you both believe AI could be used in big picture cinematic and or television? Well, I guess we've been talking about we that. We talk about that, but we don't for, think it's... For good instead of evil. Yeah. Uh, this really doesn't seem to be long... Uh, doesn't seem too long, but as customary apologies for the lengthy correspondence, I wait your thought for a reply. Thanks. Sent from UFO. <laughs> so we've, we've talked about a few of these things. Like, again, there are some potentially practical applications for AI, which aren't necessarily, which, which again, facilitates someone in creating their artistic vision mm. rather than do it for them. Yeah. Uh, and that's the rub. You know, you could say that like, oh, well, people are just influenced by stuff too. That's true. But they're making conscious decisions to do things that, will actually <coughs> bless you uh will actually like create something mm -hmm. on their own i mean i'm choosing what i'm doing or even when i'm doing it subconsciously but in doing that it is expressing something personal mm -hmm. whereas just telling ai to do it for you based on algorithm there's nothing mm -hmm. personal about it yeah. it's just stuff well it's and that's it's... and that's the problem really and i think that's that's the line if you're it, using mm -hmm. it to facilitate a part of someone's artistic vision within as long as it's not taking jobs away from anybody like mm. it's a little tiny thing i can maybe see a, a purpose for it but well this is just a trick the, the letter is asking you to just sort of do it on your own this is just what's in your personal I, collection just do it though yeah. like that's the thing like you said like oh what if you could create like mm. a muppet dracula i just want to write and direct muppet dracula <laughs> that's what i want <laughs> i don't want to i don't want a magic wand to do it i think the act of making it yeah. is what's more exciting even if it's unofficial even if it's fan fiction or a fan film or something well, that's the thing that makes it special not the mm. end product yeah what, if what we i skip do to the end product then it's less interesting to me what i do is uh i just sort of play around with it. it's it's the same uh effect one might have if uh, i remember going to a, a museum when i was a kid a science mm. museum and uh they had a computer and this was back when this was sort of cutting edge technology mm. that a computer you could type in a word and it would speak it out for you oh yeah i remember that yeah, yeah and when, that was, when that was new yeah. and, and it was an artificial voice like it yeah. wasn't a human voice with a hello vocabulary. my yeah. name is Mac and, and you, you could bang in a bunch of like nonsense letters and it would try to stay the nonsense word mm -hmm. and, and that was we'd spend so much time on that computer oh, I, it was yeah. really fun mm. uh, I, I would want to do something like that you know banging on the keyboard with an AI movie maker at some point. Like what would happen if I fed in Ernest Saves Christmas and Begotten? Mm -hmm. Like how would those movies get combined? I'd be fascinated to see what it would come up with. So that's, that's, that's fun. Mm -hmm. Right. But then, but that's, again, that's just a little experiment though. Yeah. It's not really. Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, what, again, yeah, it, it is just for fun. It's to, it to, to kind of turn, turn if media inside out. If it's just fun. like a novelty thing, like mm -hmm. what if we did this? Fine. It's when it becomes, okay, and that's good enough. We don't have to improve on that. And no, that's, and, and we I'm can not just, concerned with that. And that's, we can just, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. that's when it becomes irresponsible. Mm -hmm. So anyway, moving on. Uh, here's a letter from Lily. Hello, Hi, Lily. Lily. Um, Dear Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. 
It's uh, K U with an umlaut L. There's nice. Every spelling is correct. I know it's nice and cool. That's true. Um, I had to watch The Godfather for a class. Okay. I wanted to be cynical. I wanted to say it's just okay, but people are right, and it's one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> and I'm really mad about it. That's all, Lily. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I get it. When uh, I encountered this a lot when I was in film school, sure. um, when someone tells you watch this movie, it's really good. You watch that movie, and it might be really good. If someone says this is the best movie ever made, it's homework. It, it feels mm-hmm. like you you have to enjoy this well, movie. Or it's a challenge. And, like, yeah. I, defy, I defy you to come up with a reason to disagree with me. And when you're in that kind of mindset, you're probably not going to enjoy it. There's uh, a decent chance. Yeah. Yeah. You might walk away from it's not, The Godfather, Citizen Kane, saying, ah, oh, it was terrible. Everyone it, said it was great. It's, it's not the ideal circumstance, yeah. you know? This is one of the reasons why I say, like, anticipation can be the enemy of, like, mm-hmm. critical discourse no it's because you have it now all of a sudden it has to compete with something in your head you know all this baggage yeah i still have arguments with people about you know the advertising machine and how it creates anticipation exactly um i'm trying to think of the an instance where that was true like they said watch this great movie and i was like defiant and i still liked it yeah Um, yeah oh god i'm sure oh you know what uh a a movie that i hadn't seen for many many years until recently was uh the lion king oh yeah the animated film the lion king i I, I, I tried to nudge you into that a few times and you're like "Eh." i'm not interested in disney or their animated product i find it stuff to be too slick and not terribly interesting um we're talking about the original 2d the 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 1994 uh animated lion king feature film uh, I was out of the country when it came out. I missed the entire wave of hype. So I got back. It was already out of theaters. It was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't on VHS yet. And it was about a year before that was, was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And because um, there used to be year long yeah. gaps between theatrical release and home video. And uh, so, yeah, I came back and people were kind of singing the songs, but I didn't get what it was. I didn't, yeah. didn't get the hype. I just sort of missed the whole Lion King wave. And I was already a teenager by then. I didn't want to see animated mm-hmm. Disney films. I was kind of over it at that point. Yeah, yeah. Then so, I, so, I never, so I never bothered. And people say, oh, you should really watch it. No, I don't want to. Mm. Don't care. Became a Broadway show. Yeah. I still don't care. Didn't yeah. want, I, I just was not interested in watching The Lion King. Until we did for... Uh, a, I think, yeah, for a podcast, we did a commentary track on it. So I finally watched it then. Yeah. And you know, it was pretty good. It's a good movie, right? I like that it's one. well-crafted, uh, beautifully animated, tells a story really well. Yeah, the, my only issue with the story was I wished that Simba, the lion, had stayed with the meerkat and and the boar. I think and, that would have didn't been, go back to the the kingdom. To I think that would have been a more it. potent decision. But yeah, yeah, I like agree. he stays, and yeah. and so what? What about Scar? They have the queen. She's there. Yeah, why not? <laughs> There's a bunch of other lions. And she was really invested yeah. as well. Like, yeah, like he, she cares. He became like a conscientious objector. He was like, yeah. I'm gonna not eat. I mean, I'm gonna not eat other yeah, animals. Like, like, like he, I'm gonna, found, yeah. and and then at the very end, he comes in and is like, "Well, you know, for any animals who want to live a peaceful life uh-huh. and not live in this sort of circle of life that you romanticize, mm-hmm. but is actually based literally on you eating your subjects, I'm gonna be over there frolicking in this leafy glade. Yeah, like yeah. I found Eden, guys. Yeah, that that would have been. Oh, a way I would have written that story, yeah. but you know that's that's me, the cynical bastard. I, I don't know if I was cynical, but I there's movies that I like put off. You know, mm. like there's there's so many like movies that are considered like the best movies ever, and yeah. you know, read the sight and sound poll or whatever. And you know, if you're a film critic or a film enthusiast long enough, you're probably going to get through most of those just naturally, or you'll make it, um. or you'll make it a point. Oh, I'm going to see all the films on this list. 
yeah. this year or that I've missed or whatever like that. And that's fun. You know, gamifying something can be a real fun uh, uh, way to do it. Um, but there's a few, and I, I tend to, like... I'm at a point now where, like, I like knowing that there's a few so-called great movies that I haven't seen because yeah. they're still out there. I haven't discovered everything yet. So I'm, I'm not necessarily rushing mm-hmm. to get to all of them. But another one I think we did... We, we did some sort of podcast where I had to watch it. Um, I had been putting off because people told me it was funny, and I was like, eh, do I really need to? I'd, how funny could it possibly be? What's up, Doc? <laughs> That's so fucking with, funny. With Ryan O'Neill and Barbara Streisand and Madeline Kahn. That movie is fucking yeah, funny. It is so good. That movie is staggeringly funny. That is one of the funniest fucking movies ever made. <laughs> and I, it's one of those ones where like I'm watching this and I'm... You know, every once in a while you watch a movie and like, oh, that is really, really good. Great, I'm glad I saw that. But every once in a while, it's like, I'm mad that I didn't see that earlier. I could have been watching this over and over again since I was a kid, and it never fucking came up, and I'm mad about it. I I came across that when uh, I was was 30 years old. Yeah. I finally sat down to watch Alex Cox's Repo Man. Mm. It's like... And I was I was angry at myself. Like I ne- I needed that when I was eighteen. Yeah. Where was yeah. that when I was eighteen years old? And I could yeah. have been like really bitter and been on its wavelength a little bit better. Liquid Sky. Oh, you waited for a while. I, I see that one. I saw. In co- I saw Liquid Sky. In college, I should have seen so. Liquid Sky in high school. I yeah. think I would have understood <laughs> things about myself that I didn't understand mm-hmm. until relatively recently in my life. I, I there was a lot of like really interesting queer cinema that wasn't mm-hmm. accessible to me for a really long time, and mm-hmm. I wish it had been. Yeah, and that's not me like rejecting it or anything like that. It just wasn't fucking available. Yeah, Look, you know, Liquid so. Sky is this wonderful, weird science fiction movie. Yeah. It takes place in the near future, and a uh, very like a miniature spacecraft lands on. Uh, apartment of like these hedonists uh, like, uh, like supermodels like, like supermodel like, new yeah. wave hedonists with like yeah. heavy facial makeup and they take heroin and mm-hmm. when somebody is really uh, high on heroin or having an orgasm mm-hmm. the alien like sort of snatches up their bodies like its own like its own drug yeah it kind of makes them disappear yeah and I'd... and there's a char- two characters played by one actor one's a male one's a female there's a lot of this gender fluidity going on there's a yeah. lot of fluid there's a, sexuality there's a scene where the actor tr- tries to seduce themselves themselves yeah that's great yeah. so fucking amazing that movie is like we talk about like cult cinema now and I feel like a lot of the cult cinema today isn't that culty no it's well, just kind of not mainstream well, we, you look at got... Liquid Sky and I'm like oh y'all are fucking weird okay <laughs> yeah, I love they... this uh, and they're still being made. You just yeah. have to find one of my favorite movies this year. It's probably going to be on my top ten list. Was mm. a Stephen Dorff film called Divinity. This oh, weird yeah. kind of yeah, yeah it's kind of bonkers one, yeah. sci-fi movie yeah. shot in black and white, and it ends with a stop motion fight with a monster. It's like yeah. that kind of a movie. Yeah. Those movies are still being made. That's true. Uh, just, you just have yeah. to dig through a lot more shit to get to them. Yeah, fair enough. Um, uh and yeah and yeah when, once they're discovered only the weirdos latch on to them if, yeah. if they have any kind of mainstream success guess what they're probably not going to be weird enough for me yeah because uh, there's some cult movies that eventually become just classic movies mm-hmm. uh and yeah those tend to be the ones that are relatively mainstream mm-hmm. they usually i don't think wild zero will ever be a mainstream film yeah probably not That's, but wild zero is fucking great by the so way if you've never seen it my god there's kind a, of like a superhero movie with a band playing themselves yeah, as the superhero it was a heavy metal band called guitar, guitar wolf, wolf yeah. and uh yeah it's about a guy who uh meets a girl and it happens to be like during a ufo zombie apocalypse and also he finds out that she's trans and it kind of messes with his sense of identity and then he meets this like heavy metal band that starts like killing all the zombies with like supercharged guitar picks and then they <laughs> yell at him for for 
for for not being okay with his girlfriend being trans and tell him like love doesn't understand any love lives outside the binary just fucking do it and he's like yeah you're right I should do it and it's and it's great fucking rock music and I'm like this movie's fucking amazing this well, is the greatest fucking movie ever Wild well, Zero's pretty fun yeah but I don't um, think it's ever going to be mainstream successful it's fine I know I'm just saying like it's not it's not like. Hocus Pocus, yeah. which wasn't a hit when it came out. Yeah, People yeah. liked it, and now Disney's marketing it a lot. It's never going to be that. That's not it's a always going to be a little weird. You know? I, I, I do kind of resent the way the phrase cult movie has, has mm. been repurposed in recent years. Uh, yeah. I, I worked uh, for many years in a movie theater here in Los Angeles called The New Art, and yeah. uh, it, it's still to this day doing Rocky Horror on a weekly basis. And it has been, the, except for like COVID, consistently since consistently, like the 70s. Since, yeah. uh, like the early 80s. Oh, the early yeah. 80s. Okay. Well, uh, still a long ass time. Uh, and and they still have the live shadow cast. They have the Virgin mm-hmm. Sacrifice at the beginning of every show. It's a lot more tame now because the crowd's a lot younger. Yeah, it's, it's, it used it's to strange. be. It used to be like college kids and and above, like mm-hmm. doing something really kind of subversive. And now yeah. it's not subversive anymore. Yeah, um, but it's a tradition. But That's it's nice. still a tradition. I think you know kids should still go. Yeah, by kids I mean high school kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, young adults. Uh, but uh, over, over the course of me working at the New Art, and we had Friday midnight shows as well, we went from showing, like, the really outré shit, like El Topo, and, you know, stuff mm. you might have seen, but is still, like, kind of challenging and weird Pink Flamingos. Mm-hmm. Pink Flamingos to this day is still revolting. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate that about Pink Flamingos. But now they show but like now it's like, Terminator 2. Yeah, now it's like Jurassic yeah. Park. And there's, and some kids were coming in and saying, oh yeah, this is a great old cult movie. It's like, this was one of the biggest movies of all time. Yeah, that's you not a cult you movie. You can't call Jurassic Park a cult movie. Yeah. Or, or Back to the Future. It's like, no. these are just movies you enjoyed watching once. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and if you're young and like they predate you, that's yeah. fine. That's still They're still not cult movies. They're yeah. very, very mainstream. They're incredibly. They so were yeah, popular for, for then. Me, they're popular now. For There's me, the phrase, and I think we've talked about this on the the podcast before. But for me, the phrase "cult movie" refers to something that's only going to necessarily appeal mm. to a very small group of people. I, I think it was like Bruce Campbell who said, you know, like a mainstream hit movie is a movie that a million people see once, mm. and like, or or, or and, a million people see one movie ten times. Yeah, and uh, a cult movie is a movie that ten people see a million times. Exactly. Mm. Like it, it's they they will not hit everyone, but the people they hit they will hit so fucking hard, yeah. and you will feel seen, and you will feel as though you finally like understand something, and that, you feel there's art, to artists out there who want to make art your interested yeah 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 that's that's cult filmmaking in in it at its best all right i think we can Mm. uh we can call it there for now uh we'll be back next week we'll do another uh we've got mail next week so please write in uh our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net we'd love to hear from you and again sorry it's been so long since we've done this we're we're back on the horse so join us on, (laughs) on on this horse that is this podcast. I didn't think that through. Anyway, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what's our P.O. Box? Uh, send us a physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, and of course, we're on the social medias at Critic Acclaim. I'm Matt William Bibiani. Matt, Whitney Seibel. Uh, if you want to listen to any of our podcasts we discuss on this episode, we have commentary tracks on our Patreon page. We have our Star Trek podcast on our Patreon page. We have our Oscars podcast. We have all of our, like, archived podcasts like holy batman where we reviewed every single item was batman uh those are all on our patreon page patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network you can also vote for future episodes of the iron list thank you to all of our patrons without you the show would not happen ever uh and it just means the world to us that you 
able to support us. And if you can't afford to join the Patreon, fair enough. Leave us a review. That just really helps a lot. Yeah. It, it, more than you probably realize how useful that is. So please just leave us a review if you can. That'd be great. Be honest. Doesn't have to be five stars. If you think we suck, it's weird that you got to the end of this episode, but fair <laughs> enough. I admire your, your consistency. Even if it's a hate listen, it's a listen. That's yeah, fair enough. But if, um, if, if you hate us, recommend us to your enemies. And um, yeah, I guess that's it. So uh, again, thank you everybody for, for writing in and uh, we'll see you next time. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. <laughs>